take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Hello, and welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers. This is your host, Rachel Gilmore. Um, I serve at Pact One and Discipleship Ministries as the Director of Recruiting, Assessing, and Training of Church Planters. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. Um, See, what happened was I have probably 15 or 20 podcasts that were recorded pre-coronavirus, and I really struggled with, do I share these stories? Do they even make sense? Do they connect or resonate? And I was listening to one of them this morning, and it really impacted me. Um, It was a conversation I had with Karen Haran. Now, Karen is absolutely incredible. She was a middle school teacher, high school teacher for about a decade, then went to Perkins, got her MDiv, and, and started a church. So she's the founding pastor of Green United Methodist Church in New Braunfels, Texas, in the Rio, Texas Annual Conference. And um, she was the first female to plant a church in Rio, Texas. And this church grew to just over 700 people in her 10 years there. So she's one of the most effective female church planters in the United Methodist Church. Now she serves as the church developer in Rio, Texas, but she's a phenomenal woman. And we had a conversation, my goodness, guys, it was about a year ago where I just asked her some basic questions and wanted more insight into how she approached her church plant. Um, you know, what she thought in terms of of failures that she experienced, how she'd want to do things differently, top resources. Um, so anyways, I think that you have a lot to learn from her. I know I sure did. And I hope you enjoy what she has to share with us now. Can you share a story of failure in your plant where something did not go well or as intended? You know, um, some of the, I, I don't even know that I would call them failures, but some of my serious, some of the serious mistakes are when I thought I had all the right answers. Um, some of them were things as simple as um, service times when we were first getting started. I had in my brain what was going to need to happen later on, and I didn't listen to the advice of uh, folks on the launch team or folks around in the community. And, and so, boy, we're far, forging ahead, right? That stubborn, stubborn streak. Finally, when I listened well enough and we changed our service time by 30 minutes, 50 people showed up. And I realized that um, I had to let go of what I thought I knew and trust the wisdom, the collective wisdom. Um, Again, kind of another failure might have been um, we had to, which would be kind of the next game-changing decisions, but we had to move from one place to another before we moved in our permanent place. And one of the things that we uh, really almost tumbled in is that school building was going under construction. And what I failed to do was to have enough communication with them uh, to stay on top of some of those things. And we would show up and like the parking lot that we parked on was gone. It was just gone. They tore it up. And so we had to find new ways to get in and tell our people where to park. And, and so at the time we were trying to gain the most momentum, we actually, you know, lost momentum. And when you're about to walk into a building that we borrowed $3 million to do to build, um, that's a bad thing. And so we really had to work hard 
to overcome really just the lack of communication and the lack of um, follow through with what we thought we had. But when you wait, you get there on a Sunday morning and you just don't um, week after week after week um, in that time of construction under the school while we were under construction and didn't have any place else to be. And we really needed to gain that summer and not lose quite so much. So that's so hard, especially in the summer too. Yeah. When attendance is already kind of struggling and energy momentum can be hard to grow. Yeah. We always gained in the summer, which was really weird because, um, the New Braunfels, the town was just a growing place. And so lots of folks would come and visit and check out schools and check out places they were going to live and, um, and tried churches. And so we often, we often really gathered more. Well, you said the failure thing was kind of connected to the game-changing decisions that impacted your plan. You want to tell me about some of those times? Yeah, we, um, we started, well, being a mother-daughter plant, the mother church had bought property um, probably five years before they ever started planting. As a matter of fact, they tried to sell it off. They didn't have the person, the planter. They didn't have lots of things. So we knew where we were going to end up. So when we started, we started in an elementary school about five miles west um, of the property. We got to a point where we had outgrown the cafeteria of the elementary school. We were really outgrowing it. And so I gave our folks the, I let them have the decision. Are we going to go to two services in this location or do we want to go to a new location? Um, They wanted to stay together. I probably should have made them not, but um, anyway, so we moved from five miles west to about two miles east of the property across a major highway, which is like crossing into a whole new world. Now, at first it felt odd because we lost people. They didn't transfer with us over to the high school from the elementary school. We gained more people. And the reason I think it became a game changer is that um, what happened is when we came back to the property, we grew faster than we thought because the other people came back. While they weren't willing to cross the interstate, um, the folks on the other side of the interstate were because that was more normal behavior for them. Uh, That's where the grocery stores were. It was on that other side that some, you know, the elementary schools were there. Um, And so those kinds of decisions really were not planned, but were so impactful in how we now not only gain more people, but we gain them from different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, different ethnic backgrounds. And um, it really changed how we then stopped and said, who is God calling us to reach now? And is what we're doing now most effective for the people we're reaching? That was super interesting um, to kind of think through all of that. Now, again, I did make them go from one service to two services at the high school, which was a game changer, but also very risky because we really, at that point, we were worshiping maybe 225. Uh, we were dropping a little of that. We'd started at about 250. We dropped down about 225. We were getting closer to 200 with the crazy construction at the high school. Um, but I still made them go to two services because if we did not move into the new building 
at two services, we were going to stay a single cell pastor dependent church. Um, and so that was another one of those major decisions that could have gone either way. Um, it felt terrible at the time we did it, but moving in, it allowed the, the space to grow and the thing to grow. And it ended up being a really good, easier transition because then we went from two to three almost without any problems. There was just no internal kind of, we're not going to see each other anymore kind of a thing. Um, it reminded them to make space for more new people again. And that was huge. So what are the top three resources that you would recommend? Either books, conferences, websites, podcasts, teenagers? God, now I think some of the books that I would recommend are things like Failing Boldly. Um, because I think we cannot continue to be uh, risk averse anymore. We have to be willing to try. We have to be willing to say things aren't going to work and that doesn't make them a failure. Um, it's just the thing that's going to teach us and prompt us in that next new thing. Um, and so I just think that's a great book to think through. Um, I love Sue Nilsson Kibbe's book, Floodgates. I think we forget as planters while we pray all the time. I think we forget that um, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is, is the thing we have to follow and open up. And we are the ones that get in our own ways. It's what I love about part of that book. Um, my husband, I used to say, or my husband would say, Karen, if you would just let God do it, hence the stubborn thing, but if you would just let God do it, then it's going to be bigger than you can imagine, right? Um, get out of God's way and open up, as she says, open up those floodgates. One of the best conferences that I went to, and we went to as a church for about two or three years, and then it was so much the same, was the National Worship Leaders Conference. We were very worship-centric. Um, that, was, that was our main thing. And from worship and out of worship, everything else was going to flow for us. And that National Worship Leader Conference gave my worship leader and I language around um, how to really look at the worship service as a means of then moving on and beyond that. While we kind of knew it intuitively, we didn't have the language. We didn't always have the relationship because worship leaders and pastors don't always work together as closely as they might need to. Um, we learned so much about the power of image and what the AV kinds of things, how to do that well. So we would take our volunteer, we didn't have a paid person, but volunteers to that, um, to really talk about what it did. And that also gave us language around when we needed to spend some funds that other church folks would say, do we really need that? Um, but as we talked about the desire to reach um, younger people, the power of image and some of the lessons we learned early on were huge for us. So uh, I don't hear people talk about it in the Methodist circles much. But National Worship Leader Conference. I love that. And I hear, you know, an ongoing struggle for planters is finding a worship leader that they do connect with. And so going together, like, what a great experience. Because you're right, I don't hear about people going to that conference. And it sounds like it was really beneficial for you and could be for many others. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a good one. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to see, we just missed ours with our new plants that we're doing here in Rio, Texas. I want to send them. As soon as they, and some people find worship leaders there. I mean, now they'd have to move and, you know, cause they're national, but um, it's just, a, it's an interesting 
It's a really good, and they have a track for pastors. And one of the things that I loved is that they would always say things like worship leaders, whether you agree or disagree with your pastor, they are your spiritual leader. And that while you have the expertise and you have the ability to bring people into that throne room of God, it is your, your pastor that has been given that authority at this point and that you, you know, and it was just a really good and, and conversely pastors, you don't know how to do these things and you must learn to work in concert together so that the very thing you want to do to share the word of God happens in image and in music and in word and in, we learn much more about experiential worship there um, and in the things that the people can do and touch and see and smell um, to bring the whole thing, the whole big idea together for a week, for a Sunday, for a season, for whatever it is. So it was huge for us. Wow. I love that. Wow. Um, okay. So what is the biggest myth of planting? Mm. When you build it, they will come. I think that was the, you know, people kept saying, once you build, get in that building, you're going to double. We didn't. Um, you know, when you have a good, clear vision statement or a good, clear vision, the people will follow you. Um, sometimes the vision uh, is, is not as clear as what you want it to be. Uh, Part of that myth that I struggled with is that, well, God, if God doesn't plant that vision clearly, then you must not be the right person. Um, and so it is that kind of combination of things. You have to have the vision. You have to be able to articulate it. Um, but part of what I learned is if I came with a ready-made vision or vision statement and said, here it is. Now, if you don't like it, don't come with us wasn't what God was calling at least me to. It was how do you reach the people that are not being reached? How do you put out a, a big idea, a vision, uh, a possibility, but then how do the people have the ability and the right and the relationship to fill in some of the details of what that vision looks like? Um, one of the hardest things for people who left the church that, that I planted is when a lady from the launch team three years later came and said, Karen, this is not what you said it was going to be. I said, you're right. It's not because who God sent us and the gifts that they bring and who we're reaching is not who we thought we were going to reach. And if we don't respond to the people that God is sending us and be open to what God is doing in the movement that God has for us right now, then we will have failed. But you're right. What I thought this was going to look like is not what it is. And I still think we were faithful to God rather than being faithful to a hard clad vision. So whether it's building or vision, it's like, if we think we got it down, right, everybody will come. I don't think so. Or if we think that one building or one vision will carry us through even five years, even three years, like exactly. you're right. Um, you know, my first year of planting folks said, well, what's our five year plan? And I'm like, let's talk about our, our one week plan. Like, do we have a team to set up next Sunday and make coffee? Um, and you know, the details of the vision come as you get the people and yeah, and see where the Holy spirit is at work and who you're called to be. And it does, it changes in yeah. some ways, but that ultimate vision of reaching people. Right. Remains. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to articulate the difference. It's like, you've got, it's either a combination of your, it's, you know, 
what God is calling you toward, the core values, the things that won't change. Um, and then everything else has to have the ability to be a little more fluid. Mm-hmm. Which is a gift I think church plants have that established churches struggle with more because right. they've always done it this way. So Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does self-care look like for you or during planting? Were you working 80-hour weeks and never taking a Sabbath? Tell me, tell me more, Karen. <laughs> yeah, we'll say I did a terrible job of self-care while I was planting. Um, so, no, I really didn't take a Sabbath. Um, I would try to take, my goal would be to take three or four hours twice a week at a time. Um, if I was able to not have to do something on a Saturday, but planting, you were there all the time. Um, For me, I actually lived 35 miles away in another town. Um, My kids were starting their soft junior and senior years of high school. And so I promised them I would not move them. Um, And and so, yeah, my goal would be to take an afternoon and be with the kids an evening here or there. Or if I did an evening, I would try to take a morning. Um, I would say... Realistically, I was anywhere between 60 and 75 hours a week um, for the first six months, probably. Um, Got a little bit better trying to take a day here or there. I did not miss a Sunday for almost a year. Even when I took vacation, I was gone Monday to Friday or Saturday and came back and which meant I was writing the sermon on vacation um, to get ready for the next time. Um, so yeah, I didn't do that very well. I did learn that in those quiet times, my spiritual practices increased. So I spent more time in prayer, more time journaling, um, more time studying, um, doing those kinds of practices deeper and more frequently probably than I did later. Um, and so I don't know, for me, it was kind of that balance, but that was also that, that speed was pretty normal for me in my life. If you looked at my, my history, I, uh, I'd done that since I was in college. And so that wasn't terribly new for me, but it, um, it wasn't easy when your family's quite that far. I remember on a, after evening, my husband was out of town and my two teenage children met me halfway so we could have dinner so I could go back to New Braunfels and they could go back to San Antonio and they worked on homework but that was they were going to be in bed by the time I got home that night so um that's not great don't do that (laughs) well your kids still love you they call and come home and visit right so So I think kids kids of planters have a unique relationship to the church um and to God because they they sacrifice in many ways, but then also feel like they helped birth this new thing too. So, yeah, they, uh, I, I was second career, so I didn't even start seminary until they were like in fifth and sixth grade. Um, and so they weren't a, a preacher's kid, you know, they didn't, that wasn't how they saw me or remember me as a kid. So it was a little bit different. And I would say my kids were less connected to the church plant than any other church we attended as a family prior to that. Um, they were the most proud of me because of 
seeing the sacrifice and seeing how important it was to reach these people. They understood the language, even though they were not terribly connected. Um, yes, they came every Sunday morning. They did youth Sunday school in the mornings, but they, they didn't come back and do anything for youth. And then they went off to college. Um, but yet my oldest, when he had his son, he said, mom, can we, can we baptize him at the church before you leave? And so it was one of the last baptisms I did was my grandson's. Makes me want to cry. That's beautiful. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. So how did you use social media in your plan? 2006, not well. I mean, part of it is it just wasn't quite a thing. I mean, it probably was, and I wasn't aware of it. Um, So we didn't really until after we got going. Did you ever use lay planters at any point? Um, not specifically, um, but I guess in the same vein, as we got folks who were interested in doing more ministry, what we ended up having six worship services a month outside the walls of the church. And I, or the pastors only did two of those. And so rather than it being a a lay planter, but we did have people that we were training and sending out. Some wanted more formal training. Some just had a heart. Um, So the ones that wanted the more formal training, we, they became certified lay ministers or eight. We had one that did that who now became a pastor after all that training. Um, Some of our other ones, we simply just said we modeled, this is what it could look like. Now you can take that service and do whatever. Um, What was beautiful about some of that is some of those folks that of course felt that call and wanted to serve in that way. um, We had nine folks from our church become pastors, um, local pastors and are out now and going. Um, Not all have stayed pastors, but God was moving in a way that was calling them. And what we did is by having platforms, having ways that they could lead worship inside, but more outside the walls. Um, Homeless worship was a big one. We had recovery worship. That was another man's passion and really got him launched into doing ministry. Um, I had one lady who loved doing our independent living um, down the street. Uh, She's like, they're they're old people, but they're active. It's not like a nursing home. And so she loved doing that worship and that I would bless the elements and let her serve communion and and do the things. Um, And so anyway, some played music and leading worship that way led to wanting to be a pastor and then going on from there. But it was, um, I think that was the way we trained and used lay people, Um, whether I called them lay planters, I didn't really, but that's what God ended up doing with them. That's amazing. Um, When it comes to your ministry, uh, or, or your ministry while you were planting, what was your biggest fear? You know, I guess the biggest fear was failure, like most of us. Back then, there were, there were very high numbers, and it was based on this data of how many people. Um, so that was a fear that was always more um, grinding in the back, that if we weren't going to have enough people. Part of my own personal fear was just that I would look stupid and, and, and not be prepared and not therefore not be able to make an impact. You know, to, to disappoint God in failing would mean more that I, I simply was um, 
not careful enough with the word, meaning I recognize that while God does it all, how I present the gospel and how I present who Jesus is and what Jesus does, um, that changes somebody's heart and faith. And it will either draw them closer. So if I'm flippant with words, or if I say something wrong, or if I fail in a way of, of simply standing in on reverence of the responsibility that we have um, to stand up in front of people, that was a, a fear, still is. It's still something every time I preach that I, I get nervous, not because of the number of people in front of me, but because of the huge responsibility that we have um, to represent God well in a way that then connects people to God that we can then get out of the way. So can I add on one more question for the moment that sure. I would just love your input on um, to try to compile a whole separate video. But as, as a female planter, what advice would you have for other women who are planting, who find it hard to, to locate role models, other women that have done it, um, some of the unique struggles we might face, or, you know, gifts? What's your, what's your words of wisdom for? Yes. Um, I think the hardest thing for women um, is when we hit resistance, the biggest advice is to think through how we respond. Because um, I feel like when there has been a really um, unsuccessful, that's not the right, ineffective female pastor, we all reap the downside of that. That is remembered, not that she did a bad job, but that she was she. And therefore, there's that. So as we receive that resistance, um, the first thing that I always have to try to remember is that I am not going to reach everyone. Um, and that's okay. And if my female body, hair, makeup, fate, whatever, if this package is going to be their stumbling block to Christ, then I can graciously say that I'm not the one. Now I try to challenge and say, but if you will listen to me and you don't hear the spirit of God working and moving through me, then that's another conversation. Um, but I'm happy to point you to a male colleague. And if we can be gracious, A, it surprises people. And I think it softens them, maybe not to us, but to other women who come along. Uh, the second thing is if we don't lift one another up and we don't stop tearing each other down because competitiveness, we seem to feel like there's a scarcity of spots that are leadership roles for women, and we begin to tear each other down, and now we're our own worst enemies. And so how do we truly, as women in ministry, celebrate, rejoice when others are rejoicing, even when it's not for us, and suffer when we all suffer, even if it's not us? Um, that lack of congeniality is, is tearing us apart and doing us disservice all across the board. So my hope is that we can do that. I have my own issues. I get jealous when somebody else has got something that I think maybe I could do or have or deserve. Or blah, blah, blah. That's, my, that's my junk with God. Um, and hopefully I can be honest enough with other women to say, I, yeah, I'm having a hard time, but I'm so excited for you. So yeah, keep smiling, keep nodding, um, and then go do the right thing. I have found fighting makes it worse for me. 
just trying to beat into their head that I'm good, even though I'm a woman. Um, the stories you can tell, but uh, it doesn't help. And so in a community where there was one other female senior pastor in the whole town to find out that I was the first woman to plant in our conference. Thank God nobody told me, but fighting would not have been helpful. And so you smile and you nod and you have a really good girlfriend that you have a glass of wine with and you cuss out the world about it. And then you smile again when you're up there and you just keep going and you just know that God's gotcha. God's gotcha. Because when we're called, we're called. And that's what we stand on, not on anything else the world says. I totally agree. I can still remember the moment where I realized my authority to be in this position didn't come from any human being on earth that came from God. And so to try to prove myself to these people gave them a power that was never intended for them. And I think we would just relax and be more comfortable in our own skin if, I mean, as you said, like you just turn to God for that smile, be nice and Hopefully my body isn't a hindrance to you, but regardless, this is the calling in my life. I can't, can't do anything else. So I had an impasse here, but I love you on your journey. Yeah. I had a mentor who was of a, a truly a different generation, right? She had to fight and their generation had to fight for everything, but who actually said to me at one point, so when are you going to cut your hair and stop wearing so much makeup? I said, why, why would I do that? Well, When you wear a robe and you cut your hair and you don't wear so much makeup, then you become a neutral for the congregation and they'll accept you better. I said, well, God called me with long hair and wearing makeup and not wearing a robe. And so that's how I'm going to be until God tells me something different. And that was my female mentor. Yeah. Mine told me you can't wear nail polish on your toes in the first year or people won't take you seriously. And I'm like, what does my toenail polish have to do with my calling? Like, I, I don't, I can't even start playing those games. It will just derail what God is calling me to do. So Absolutely. Um, I respect you in that it was much harder for you than it's been for me. But yeah. Far <laughs> more conversations with our about our fingernail polished color about our shoes, about our cute earrings. Um, but you know what? As women, we have those conversations anyway. I will see another woman and go, dang, those are cute shoes. Where did you get them? Well, if I'm standing in front of 300 people, somebody is going to say, Karen, I love those shoes. Where did you get them? And that does not mean they didn't hear my word. It means they like those shoes. And we as women will have those conversations. Um, and I think that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, for me, I did notice a shift when I never, you know, robed up. It just didn't fit with our worship style. But people kept commenting on my necklace or my top. And I was asking my husband, who's a pastor, are they talking about your tie and your shirt? He's like, no. So I went to just the straight Episcopal collar with jeans and my tall heels or my boots or whatever I wanted. So I still felt like I was living into my identity, but reminding them I'm here as the pastor. And almost immediately, they stopped commenting on what I wore and instead on the message I brought. And I'm like... You know, guys don't have to think through things like that. No, it's, it's just, it's a different experience. Wow, I hope you enjoyed everything that Karen had to share with us uh, in my conversation with her. You know, some of the things that really stuck out to me, especially in this um 
season of a pandemic, words that she shared over a year ago that still ring true, um, was that myth of church planting where she said, when you build it, they will come. I think what we're all realizing in the church planting world is that buildings are no longer the goal for us as we're planting churches because so many of us have seen how the church has innovated and become the church without any building for the past few months. And so moving forward, I'm excited to see how we adapt and innovate and realize that a massive multi-million dollar building might not be the holy grail of church planting, might not be what we're all striving for, um, but maybe connecting with the community it, right where we are and then virtually, nationally connecting people uh, through our message and ministry. Something else that Karen mentioned in one of her top resources was the importance of understanding quality worship. And I think that's hugely important as well. You know, we have this digital church planting training coming out so that we can try to find the tools to do a really powerful, meaningful online worship experience so folks can receive the hope and the help that they need in these really, really anxious times. Um, she also talked about self-care. You know, we joke about it in the planting world that none of us know how to take a break. Um, and while it's true, we need to name that and we need to do a better job of it because especially during this pandemic, as stress is at an all-time high and so many of us who do have young kids are concerned about how we're going to juggle school in the fall, what that will look like. Um, having a self-care plan is huge. A book that really helped me um, is actually one I heard about from Matt Temple, who's another developer in the North Texas Conference, but it's called God in My Everything by Ken Shigematsu. And it, um, it was just a powerful read for me in terms of figuring out how am I going to stay connected to God? What does that look like? What does self-care look like? Um, so if you're struggling with that as well, that's a resource that might be helpful to you. Uh, and then finally, if you are a female planter out there, I hope you really resonated with everything that Karen shared. Um, I know I sure did, and we've got to stick together. So we do have a female planters group, multiple groups. And if you're interested in knowing more about that or connecting, feel free to email me at rgilmore at umcdiscipleship.org. Thanks again for joining us for this week's episode of Field Preachers. Have a great day, guys. Field Preachers podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.